0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, if that's not a real uh, pick-me-up, right? (laughs) It started off great, right? Uh, Blessings to you. If you're hungry, you'll be full. If you cry, you, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll laugh. If you're sorrowful, you'll experience joy. But watch out! If you're not hungry, you will be. If you're not sad, you will be. Ooh, what kind of text is that? And how does that relate to epiphany? I, I thought epiphany was about you know, things being green and new life. And ta-da, here I am, Jesus, the Lord, your God. Ooh, that's a tough one man, what to do with it. So we've titled today's sermon, Blessings and Warnings. And even, even right off the bat, I think maybe our, our sense of apprehension of hearing such a heavy word can be set somewhat at ease. Because if, I, if we talked about opposites, right? So if I said high, you'd say? Low. Very good. If I said big, you'd say? Small. Right. If I say black, you'd say? Right. So if I said blessings, you'd say? Cursings, right. So at least this isn't blessings and cursings. It's not blessed are the hungry and blessed are the thirsty and blessed are the mournful and blessed are those who are getting picked on, but curse you who are full and curse you who um, are rich and curse you, right? So it's not cursings that are coming from Jesus's lips here. It's warnings, and those, those are different. And I think it's important to note those differences, even in the Old Testament passage today, like if you, if you look at the, the worship companion, we have a copy of it out at the welcome desk, but you can also find it online and you can scan the QR code that's out there. The Jeremiah passage today begins with, Cursed is the one who relies on mortals. But be careful, even when we read that, cursed is the one who relies on mortals. Not that I'm an English professor here, but I think it is important to note that that's in the passive voice. It's not, it doesn't say God curses the one who relies on mortals. It says the one who relies on mortals is cursed, right? That's different. Now, sometimes I think Scripture does put things in the passive voice, even though God is the actor, but I don't think that's the case here. God, Our God is not in the practice of cursing things. Our God is in the practice of blessing things. And that's exactly what Jesus does in the passage that we heard read, and even in the Jeremiah passage. The reason someone would be cursed if they relied on mortals is because to rely on physical strength or to rely on our own our own economics, to rely on the, our, ourselves, is to rely on that which is not sustainable, right? To rely on a limited resource. If you rely on a limited resource, inevitably... You're going to be disappointed. Inevitably, that resource is going to be spent, and you're not going to have what you need. So blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, right? Blessed is the one who depends on the inexhaustible resource. And I think that's that's at least part of what Jeremiah is saying. Now, what's interesting about to me, about Luke's telling of this, these blessings and, and warnings. <laughs> is he kind of says, Luke comes down, Jesus comes down from the mountain onto a level plain. And he, he says this, blessing, 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 warning, warning, warning. Well, something similar takes place in Matthew's gospel. It says, it says Jesus goes up on the mountain. So we call that the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes this is called the Sermon on the Plain. Not like the Sermon on the Plain, eh, but Sermon on the you know, flat spot, right? And in Matthew's account, he just talks about blessings, or at least that's all he talks about in that sermon. But there is a separate sermon in Matthew's gospel that does talk about warnings. It's in chapters 24 and 25. And if you took a bird's eye view, I don't want to fall off here, but if you took a bird's eye view of Matthew's gospel, you would realize that the blessings and the warnings do parallel one another. And then there's two other stories about kind of maintaining the kingdom We're establishing the kingdom and maintaining the kingdom, and they parallel one another. And then at the center of Matthew's gospel are all of these parables about the kingdom. So Matthew, in a very literary kind of way, is kind of comparing the blessings and warnings, but again, it would take a pretty sophisticated reading of the text to realize it. Luke has broken it down, right, just for the plain folk, right? We don't... We're not necessarily seeing the big arc here of the gospel, and you don't have to in Luke's gospel. He kind of stacks them side by side. He comes down. He's not up on a mountain. He's down on the level ground, and he says, Look, these are the ones who are blessed, and these are the ones who are cursed. You know, Sometimes in the past, I've even said it in sermons before, that I hear Jesus saying, You're blessed when you suffer these things. And I'm thinking, That's not how I understand blessing. Right, I feel like Fezzik speaking to Fasini in uh, The Princess Bride, where uh, Fassini keeps saying the word inconceivable, and he says it several times, but each time he says it, whatever he's saying is inconceivable has just happened in the story. To finally Fezzik, who's played by Andre the Giant in the movie, he, finally he turns to me and says, Inconceivable, you keep using this word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Like I, part of me wanted to say, and like in this case, I would be Andre the Giant and Jesus would play um, Vicini. And I'm like, Jesus, blessing, blessing, blessing. You keep using this word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And that's funny. And if, if you're of my generation and you, like me, have watched The Princess Bride some hundred and billion times, it seems like, then I'm, I'm glad it connects with you. But as I was reflecting on it this week, I thought, okay, so that's, that's humorous, but it really misses the point. Because Vicini is a wannabe mastermind, right? Vicini pretends to be a great thinker. Jesus actually is a great thinker. Jesus is a mastermind, not like a master evil mind, right? But Jesus does know what he's talking about. So when Jesus says these folks are blessed and it doesn't look at all like they're blessed, then instead of saying, mm, I don't think that means what you think it means, maybe I should press pause on my definition and think how else could, what else could Jesus be saying here? In what way could they be blessed, perhaps in ways that I can't see? And I think the psalm that we read this morning uh, for the call to worship, Psalm 1, right, which is a very important psalm, kind of sets out how all the other psalms kind of go. And it talks about a tree kind of planted by the water and the way in which um, even in the midst of hard times, right, even in the midst of drought, the tree will be well. So m- multiple things are happening there. One is this, when when Jesus, or when the psalmist describes the kind of the ideal faithful person as a tree planted by the water, it doesn't mean that there's never hard times. Like in the psalm itself, it says during drought, the tree will still be okay. So you could be with God and still suffer difficulty. Droughts do come, but even in the midst of difficulty, we have a source that sustains us. I think that's the message there. And the, the idea of the tree is that the tree hasn't done necessarily much itself, right? The, tr- the tree didn't plant itself, <laughs> right? The tree- but the tree is there, and the roots of the tree are going deep, and the water that it's tapping into will always kind of sustain it. So the same thing then goes for, for any potential plant, right? So I'd like to deem myself somewhat of a horticulturalist Um, Not that I'm particularly good at it. I was out in the yard yesterday trying to dig up a bunch of weeds, and I'm thinking, man, this isn't working. (laughs) But but the idea, even if you see a, a bush or a shrub, and it might not look like it has much chance to live, who's to say where its roots go and how deep those roots go and what underground water source it may or may not tap into? So much to say that that plant that might look like it's on the edge of non-existence might actually be on the edge of an incredible existence. Like, it, it might be getting ready to really bloom. And another tree that might look like it's quite healthy might actually be ready to die. Like, Jesus will say to some of the churches in, in uh, uh, Asia Minor there in the book of Revelation, you look like you're alive but you're actually dead. So some of these live oaks that are so popular in this part of the world, right, they have the Spanish moss hanging on them, and we love to look at them, and we, they, they make them into kind of uh, icons, you know, logos of, of parks and things. It really kind of marks our area and kind of up the Atlantic coast as well. But a live oak can live for a long time, but if it's sick... It can can have kind of internally died, and it can still look like it's alive. So um, outward impressions are not always the best judgment for what's actually going on. And maybe when it comes to matters of the real things that matter in life, right, long-term, deep spirituality, who we are Who who we are with our families, who we are with our friends, kind of the depths of ourselves is not easily measured by what you can just glance and see. I think that's important. So in what way is this an epiphany? Well, here's the epiphany. Here's the revelation. You don't know that much. That's an epiphany. You thought you knew. You thought you could see. But God sees deeper than what you can see. God can see some kind of deep character development and spiritual formation that's taking place in you, that's going to pay dividends in amazing ways, fruit as the way in which the folks that you influence and the way in which you have lived your life and the struggle has kind of shaped you and you're kind of coming through out somewhere else than God is kind of developing and using these things. That's, that's an epiphany. The epiphany is that we have to trust in God, that God sees what we don't see, so much so that can God can see the hungry and the thirsty and the mournful and the oppressed and says, you're blessed. Now, um, the warning and the blessings, one of the key things I think that Luke, we could easily read past, but I don't want us to today, is that when he talks about those who suffer, at the end he says, if you are like this, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're mournful, if you're oppressed, then rejoice because so were the prophets. And then he says, "If, you know, warning to you if you are experiencing these things because the day will come when you won't. And the last warning is, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you because that's what it was like for the false prophets. So Luke is kind of comparing and contrasting the prophets and the false prophets. Now, one side note, if you'll indulge me for a second. I I say this all the time, and I actually recently said it in a faculty meeting. You you know, my, my day job is at the college. And anytime somebody brings up student course evaluations and how those things function, I always bring up this passage from Luke Woe to you if everyone speaks well of you, because that was the false prophets, right? Why do you have a few bad course evaluations? Hey, if somebody doesn't, then something's wrong with them, right? They're the false prophets. That's funnier maybe for a few of us that are in education. All right, self-indulgency over. Back to this point. <clears throat> um, yeah, the false prophets are like that. The false prophets are the ones who just say what people want to hear, right they'll 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 adjust to their situation and so they're always trying to tickle the ear right always trying to please and Jesus says watch out if you're like that there's a warning now in Jesus's blessings i think we should also hear this i mean blessing you know to have favor to 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 be fortunate right to be in the good, a good situation that's what blessing means and we know we know that We don't experience blessing in the midst of hunger, thirst, sorrow, and oppression. But (laughs) um, Jesus is with those people. Right? At the end of Matthew, going back to Matthew and his description of the warnings, he says there, he talks about the sheep and the goat, right? And the goats are the ones who didn't kind of care for those in need, right? I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was naked, you didn't give me any clothes. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me in. I was in prison and you didn't come to visit me. I was, um, uh, yeah, that's the last one. I I was sick and you didn't care for me. I was a prisoner, you didn't come to visit me. And then he, he talks about this as though those who did do those things are the sheep and those who didn't do those things are the goats, And so I guess as the readers now of the Gospels, those who have received the Gospels, we want to live our lives in such a way that we might be identified with the sheep, not the goats. But in the story, the sheep are no more in the know than the goats are. For the ones who have done right seem to be unaware that they've done so, right? Even the sheep who have done these things, they say, Lord, when did we do this to you? Isn't that Interesting. So it's not always simply a matter of having all your thoughts in a row, right? Just thinking just the right things about God. Most of the Christian life is, a, is, is just that. It's life. It's, it's practice. It's, it's a way. That was the most common uh, descriptor of early Christianity. Even before they called Christianity, Christianity, <laughs> Right? They called it the way. It was the way of Jesus Christ. It was the way of salvation. It had to do with who you were and how you lived. Right? Jesus didn't just call his disciples and say, hey, I got a list of things here you need to believe, a list of things you need to confess. He called his disciples and he said, come and follow me. Following Jesus Trusting in Jesus—that's at the heart of, the, of uh, the heart of discipleship, and I think that's at the heart of what I want to be, and it's at the heart of what I want you all to be. Right? I want you all to live in the way, and living in that way for Jesus, I think it means this. Typically, in a group, we are only going to include those who are kind of strong, not the weak. Right? We're going to include the rich, not the poor. We're going to include those who um, have it together. Their lives are kind of fit, right? And we exclude the others. But Jesus' choice of folk seems to have flipped the script, right? Jesus' choice of folk is doing just the opposite. He's including folks who otherwise would have been excluded. So if what it means to be blessed means to be in the kingdom... This is no high bar that you have to achieve in order to be in. This is a very low bar. In fact, the bar is so low, it's as though Jesus has dug a hole and put the bar down in there and covered it up. (laughs) Right? Who can come? Right? Those who are hungry can come to the table and you'll be fed. Those who are thirsty can come to the table and you'll receive something to drink. Those who are sorrowful can come to the table, and you'll be comforted. Those who have been outcast or oppressed can come to the table, and you'll be included. I mean, this is, this is part of Maslow's kind of our basic needs, right? With his hierarchy of needs, it kind of starts with physiological needs, like we need shelter, we need food, right? Um, then we need safety, and then we need some sense of uh, belonging and caring, Right? And then ultimately we kind of need some kind of um, kind of self-awareness where we are or self-achievement. I didn't get that exactly right. So if you're a psychologist, forgive me. But that, I got it basically. It's basically there. So but but I think that's that's where God is in our lives, right? Kind of fitting us all together. And, and in kind of, kind of perfect, kind of Jesus way, like and this this too is an epiphany, I think that we can learn from these texts. One is, right, is that God doesn't curse. God blesses and God warns. But even those who are warned, like where would they end, right? So the ones who are hungry, where do they end up? They end up thirsty, right? Those who, who are, excuse me, understand what I'm trying to say and not what I actually say. <laughs> those who are uh, not hungry, end up hungry, those who are not thirsty end up thirsty. Those who are not mournful are joyous, right they end up mournful, but each each case where they end up right at the end, all those warnings right they end up in a bad spot, except where do people in the bad spot who do, what does Jesus say of them that they 're blessed, so even the one he warns end up in a situation where Jesus says, hey, you all, you're blessed, you're in. So even if you have made the mistake of relying on yourself, right, even if you had made the mistake of depending on physical things, even you had made the mistake of, of, of building uh, your own life in a way that you can kind of sustain it, yeah, it's going to crash and burn. But when it crashes and burns, God's there to bless you. And I think that's important. And I, and I don't want any of you to suffer. And I don't want to make it sound like suffering is somehow some good thing that you should seek out. I think you should, for the most part, avoid suffering when you, when you can. Like I, I don't think it's good in and of itself. I do think in life it is somewhat inevitable. And there, there are ways in which we can navigate that. And we can kind of seek to be with God and with others in the midst of it, right? But, but this, <clears throat> this, this, I think, is also an, an important note to make, that <clears throat> despite the suffering, kind of even in the suffering, is where God comes to meet us. That our God is a God who suffers. And really, that's what love and relationship is all about. Like, you might think you can have your life and it can all be put together. And we, we can think of what that looks like, right? We can think of someone in our lives. We think, oh, yeah, they're really blessed. Look at the relationships they have. Look at their job. Look at their house. Look at their vacation. Look at, you know, look at their, their fame. Look at the way people respect them, right? They're, they're blessed, obviously. Look at them. But trust me, there's there's nothing that you can do in the in the deepest things, the things that matter the most to you, can't be accomplished that way, right? You can't pull on a plant to make it grow faster. Um, you can't just manipulate a relationship. You can't just do a relationship by yourself. We understand that, right? At a basic level, relationships take however many people are there, right? Two or three whatever the group is that's in a relationship with one another. You can't just do it. You can't, <laughs> you can't make decisions for how someone else is going to behave or respond. You are vulnerable in that way. So whether it's with your most significant other or whether it's with your children or whether it's with your friends, there is this sense that in order for this to work, it's going to require others in the process And that, I think, is just a reality. And the point here is is that God is with us in all of that. He is here to offer us blessing. He's here to warn us of things that could create cursing, right? Could create us in a position where we suffer from. But that's not what God would want for us. And for that,